Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Mark My Word is a message series designed to bring a Christ-centered focus into your life through the power of one word. Our speaker today is Senior Minister Dee Bacon. I'm reading a book. I just finished reading a book entitled Atomic Habits. Books by an author named James Clear. It's a book about habits. <laughs> Go figure. And the power of small habits, power of formulating good habits that bring you to a good place, and the putting away or getting rid of bad habits that put you into a bad place. Premise of the book is that we all, we all are the product of our habits, things that we do on a repeated basis over time. One of the illustrations that James Clear uses is a picture of a plane flying from LAX, flying from LA to New York City. Clear says, if there's a plane that's going to fly from L.A. to New York City, if that plane deviates 3.5 degrees south, instead of landing at New York City, that plane would land at Washington, D.C. In other words, that small variation, 3.5 degrees over time, results in a totally different destination. Put it another way, he said, let's think of it this way, 3.5 degrees for a... Boeing 747 or an Airbus 380, 3.5 degrees at the beginning at L.A. really translates to about 7.6 feet or 86 to 92 inches off. That's nothing. But over time, what happens is that that 7.6 feet translates to 235 miles in difference between, that's the difference between New York and D.C., you see, small differences in, dis- in, in small changes in direction translates into major changes in destination over time. That's the power of habits. Now, I want you to think about something else. That's flying solo. What happens if you have to fly with someone else? What happens if you have to fly together with another pilot. Well, that requires a whole set of new skills. Not only do you have to have the individual flying skills to make those small adjustments in order to make sure you stay on course, but also you have to have the communication skills necessary to be able to keep the person you're flying with together so that you can arrive together in the same destination. You know, I talk about this and I think about Geese flying in V formation. Ever seen them? They fly in V formation because it's a very good way to conserve energy. Together in V formation, based on drag, they're able to fly a much further than if they were by themselves. But the thing with geese when they fly in V formation is that they have to honk constantly. <laughs> they honk constantly because that's how they communicate. The geese in the back honk to let the ones in the front know, you know, they're keeping good pace or whether they're not keeping good pace. They honk in order to make adjustments for birds that may get astray. They honk at each other continually in order to maintain their V formation. 
to let the others know when there needs to be a change in who's leading and who needs to take a rest. They honk continuously because honking is how they're able to fly together and reach the destination together. You know, someone once said, I once heard it say that marriage is two people facing the same direction in life. Two people who have come together to face the same direction in life. In order to be able to fly in that same direction, in order to be one, then that requires a whole set of skills, like geese honking, in order to reach destination. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we're introduced to the story of Adam and Eve, and we're told that God created Adam, and he gave him a calling. That calling was subdue the earth and populate it. And then he said, oh, it's not good for Adam to be alone. I shall create for him a helpmate, a partner. That partner ended up being woman, being Eve, and that partner would then join Adam in the mission, a life purpose that was given to God. And I've often heard it said that people say, well, you know, it's not good for man to be alone, which refers to the fact that it's not good for us to be alone. alone. We're relational creatures. We need love, and we need to be connected, and that's why God gave us marriage. And there's an element of that. But if you look at the specific context of the text, you realize that the statement, it's not good for the man to be alone, specifically refers to the calling that the man was given to subdue the earth and to populate the earth with children. And so that is why he was given Eve. Eve was a life partner in marriage that would help Adam, would partner with Adam in order to achieve the purpose that God had given. You know, when I come to realize this, this little nuance difference, it now makes it understandable to think, well, you know what? That explains why Jesus was not married. Apostle Paul says it's better not to get married in these circumstances. Jesus even said there are some people who are called not to be married, but to be called to be single. And I realized, then, okay, that makes sense. Their life calling did not require the partnership with a wife. Jesus wasn't called to be lonely. No, Jesus... His mission in life did not require partnership with a wife, and hence that calling didn't require a wife to be in his life, as with Paul, as with those that Jesus said in the kingdom who are called to be single. But then there's Peter. And as you read Scripture, you discover Peter had a wife. Peter took with him a believing wife, and that believing wife obviously was... Part of his calling, God gave Peter a wife to partner with him in his ministry, in his life calling, which now brings all of it together. What is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? Well, the purpose of marriage is two people becoming one in response to the calling that God has given to them. Two people coming together in one, husband and wife coming together to be one in response to the life calling that God has placed on them. 
And because the goal is oneness, then it's important to understand that if we're going to be one, it requires a whole set of skills that keep us together because any variation in facing life and pursuing life, any small variation, even over time, leads to a breaking of that oneness. I often tell couples, I say, you know, the thing that you need to watch out for when you're in premarital counseling, here's the thing I'm going to tell you. The enemy of oneness is not going to be something big. It's not going to be the thing that everyone claims it. No, it's going to be the small. Small things over time. It's going to be that 1% difference that you kind of think it's not a big deal today, but over time, that 1% will become a big deal if you don't deal with it. See, 1% over 50 days, 1% change, whether good or bad, over 50 days, you know what that translates to? 161% change. See, we understand that oneness is achieved through the small, and the destruction of marriage occurs many times because of the small done over time came across an article that put this together, and I'm just going to read to you a little bit about what was said in that here regarding the destruction. In the book, Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me, <laughs> social psychologists Carol Tervis and Elliot Aronson tell how the vast majority of couples who drift apart do so slowly over time in a snowballing pattern of blame and self-justification. Each partner focuses on what the other is doing wrong while justifying his or her own preferences, attitudes, and ways of doing things. From their research, they say that it's not misunderstandings, conflicts, personality differences, and even angry quarrels that are the assassins of love. It's an attitude of self-justification expressed in the day-to-day -day stuff of life which kills love in marriage. What kills marriages is the accumulation of the small things that dishonor God and do not promote unity. You know, there's a clear call in Scripture in Hebrews that the church, those of us who are Jesus followers, no matter what your situation, the entire church needs to honor marriage. And many times when, when a preacher begins to preach on marriage, there are people that will say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm single. I'm divorced. I'm widowed. I'm a widower. It doesn't apply to me. Well... The scripture says that marriage needs to be honored by all, which means it's important for us as the church to understand that marriage requires hard work, it requires hard work from those who are committed to Christ seeking to be one in their marriage. And it requires hard work by those who are not in that marriage relationship but are part of the church family seeking to support and encourage and help. Marriage is something that needs to be honored, valued by all in the church. Therefore, we all need to be pro-marriage as God intended. We all need to be pro-marriage by praying for those in our church who are married and encouraging them. Apostle Paul, who was single, was the greatest advocate of marriage. And he taught about it and he encouraged it because it was a way we could honor Christ. Now we come to our scripture today, 1 Peter chapter 3. We come to the apostle Peter, who was married, 
given a general call to the church to live as different to the world. If you honor God, you're going to live differently. And part of the expression of living differently is the way you conduct yourself in marriage. There are those that like to point out that the teachings of Scripture, whether it be Peter or Paul, is outdated and many times anti-woman in particular. Well, I want you to know that you can be further from the truth if that's what you believe. you got to understand that when Christianity came into the world in the first century, it was the great releaser of women. Why? Because it said in this basic message that all people, no matter man or woman, are valuable and have value to give when they are in Christ. Christianity released women to a new status. In culture at that time, women were second class at best and property most of the time. Yet in the church, they were valued and had value to give. But in this new economy and in this new way of living, it was important that the apostles give instruction particularly to women and to men, husbands, on how they're to conduct themselves in their marriage. Give new instruction on how they're to honor God in the way they operated in marriage. How the women in their newfound freedom and their newfound value in life are to conduct themselves as Christians in marriage. And so we have this in 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'd like you to follow along with me as I read. It's a, a substantial piece of scripture here, but I think important that we go through it. Wives, he says, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Again, the word here, submit, means submission. Give yourself to the mission of your own husband. In other words, give yourself to a oneness, practices that promote unity, practices that promote oneness in marriage, the small over time. Submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, obviously there were situations where there were Christian women who had non-Christian husbands. If they don't believe the word, they may be won over without words but by, by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, the life transformation of Christ that changes who you are and how you conduct yourself. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be pretty and shouldn't dress up. It means you shouldn't just place everything on that to be an influence in the world and how you operate based on the outward, but you should focus on the inward. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in, the, in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now that's an odd thing to say. Do not give way to fear. I wonder what that's all about. And then I realized, you know what? Do not give way to fear. What does that mean? It means that perhaps these ladies, these wives had a tendency to be fearful, and because they're fearful, what do they do? Well, I think the motives for many wives to nag is because they're afraid their husband's not going to do what needs to be done, right? 
they're afraid. They don't trust their husband to, you know, dress himself uh, or to do what he needs to do or do it when he needs to do it. So they nag. Where does that come from? That comes from fear, a lack of trust. And nagging is divisive. It is not a habit that unifies. It's a habit over time that separates. Now, let me just say this. As I read through this, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see husbands or wives, whenever they hear something that they believe their spouse needs to hear, doing this thing, take note, right? Let's all take what we got for who we <laughs> take what belongs to us and let the uh, spouse take what belongs to, to them, right? Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate. That is, give their attention. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, don't blow a gasket here, ladies, as the weaker partner. What do you mean? Well, in that time and situation, women were the weaker partner. In that culture, they were. They didn't enjoy the rights and privileges that we have today. Thank the Lord that the rights and privileges that women have today really actually come from Christian teaching. But the point still remains, even though we live in a different culture, husbands are still called to treat and respect their wives as heirs of your gracious gifts of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If you're a jerk to your wife, it'll affect your spiritual life. It may affect your prayer life. Don't be a jerk to your wife. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I said none of this. So here's the bottom line for this. Oneness in marriage is the accumulation of God-honoring, unifying habits. Oneness in marriage is the accumulation of God-honoring, unifying habits. Committing yourselves to do things that first and foremost in your marriage honor God. How do I know what, what is that, Didi? How, does I, how do I know what honors God? Well, let me give you a little insight. Put everything that you do regarding the way you conduct yourself in the marriage and put it, run it by the 1 Corinthians 13 test, right? 1 Corinthians 13, love. Am I patient? Am I kind? If I'm being envious or boastful or proud, if I dishonor my mate or I'm self-seeking or easily angered or if I keep record of wrongs, then I'm not doing what honors God in my marriage. Ask yourself, are my life habits in marriage, are the things that I do on a repeated basis, if they don't need to delight in evil but rejoice with the truth, they always need to protect and trust and hope and persevere because oneness in marriage is the accumulation of God-honoring, unifying habits. Oneness in marriage is the accumulation of unifying God-honoring habits. So let me share with you a few things from my life experience that I've found that are helpful in that. Practical stuff. First of all, I think it's kind of fun if you want to with your spouse to work through this one-word book together. You know, we talk about our one word, and the one-word process is prepare your heart, Look up to God, ask Him for a word that will guide you through the air, and then live it out. Well, how about this? How about work that with your spouse and come up with a word for you and your spouse? Something to think about. Pray together. 
pray together. I don't know how many times I've talked to longtime Christian couples and come to discover that they don't pray together on a regular basis. Uh, it's kind of weird. He prays, she prays, they pray separately, and it's okay, but they never pray together. Well, I'm telling you, there's something powerful when you sit down with your husband or sit down with your wife and you pray together. It's kind of weird, I know. One of you might like pray out loud. That's okay. Just pray together. Pray together, and it doesn't have to be long. It just has to be regular. It doesn't have to be 10 hours. It just has to be done on a regular basis. Pray together. Participate in church life together. Do ministry together. Serve together. It's so heartwarming to see couples serving in the coffee room or doing tech or being up here playing together or whatever. It's heartwarming because not only is, are they serving, but also they're doing something that brings together oneness. Why? Because the world works against us continually to divide. These are actions that bring together oneness. Do your finances together. <laughs> All right. I always know typically one's good with money and one isn't, right? And you discover that over time because the one forgets to pay the bills or forgets to write them down or forgets something. And so you, eventually one will say, let me take over the bills. I get it. But I'm current telling you, do it together. Even if one is bad, do it together. Come together. Talk about it. Bible says where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. In other words, money is an indicator of how you view life. Your values regarding money and how you use money is something to do with facing in the same direction in life. And if you can't come together in that, that's going to cause problems. Why is money always one of the biggest reasons for couples to split? And so sit down together. Uh, Shannon and I have a system. I have my Excel spreadsheet on my line. And I always balance. And Shannon does everything on paper, checkbook, the bill books, and she never balances. Every two weeks when I get paid, we sit down, we have an appointment. We call it our rumble time. You know, two geese honking at each other, like arguing about money. But guess what? We come together, we're one. And at the end of it, we know where the money is, we know what the money's all about, and we know what to expect. It's a habit that produces oneness. Do your finances together. Set up appointments to connect. Can't tell you how many times couples don't sit down, look at each other face to face and ask the simple question, how are you? It doesn't have to be long. It can be over a cup of coffee. It could be over a cup of tea in my household. But sit down for five minutes, no kids. Tell the kids this is a no-fly zone. No fly, no entry zone, put away the phones so they're not indistracting, and just spend some time connecting, whatever it may be. Maybe one of you travels a lot. You know, we have technology today that is amazing. You can see each other's face on FaceTime or Skype, and you can talk and see one another and just spend some time. And sure, in life, we'll miss appointments. We'll fail to connect. Well, just make the commitment. Hey, if we miss an appointment... If we miss our appointment, let's just make the commitment we just won't do it again. Don't get all upset and say it's not working. Just don't miss the next one. Make connection times together. Gratitude. Here's one that's come is new to me. I came across a study, a study of 468 married couples. Let me read to you what they discovered. 
After interviewing 468 married individuals on relationship satisfaction, covering everything from communication habits to finances, it was discovered that the most consistent, significant predictor of happy marriages was whether one's spouse expressed gratitude. Feeling appreciated and believing that your spouse values you directly influences how you feel about your marriage, how committed you are to it, and your belief that it will last, says study co-author Ted Furtress. And that goes for good times, but perhaps especially for bad times, when couples experience stress in their communication and they devolve into what researchers call a demand-withdrawal cycle. One partner demands or criticizes, the other tries to avoid confrontation. Gratitude can disrupt this, acting as a buffer. What distinguishes the marriages that last from those that don't is not how often they argue, but how they argue and how they treat each other on a daily basis, says Fertress. Ad lead author Alan Barton, the study goes to show the power of, key, the, power of the key to a happy, happy and lasting marriage might be as simple as regularly expressing gratitude. Saying thank you is a practical way couples can help strengthen their marriage. Oneness in marriage is the accumulation of God-honoring, unifying habits. God-honoring, unifying habits. Recently in a, a book about marriage, author gives an illustration about an argument between the British... Treasury and the British Foreign Office. They were arguing over whether or not they should issue Rolls-Royce, Rolls-Royce cars to their ambassadors and who they should issue them to. Treasury was saying, we only need to have our ambassadors in the big cities drive Rolls-Royces. Foreign Office said, no, no. We need to issue Rolls-Royces to most of our ambassadors, and here's the reason why. You see, most of the people in these countries have never been to Britain, never seen Britain, never experienced Britain. But if our ambassador is riding in this beautiful car, this stately, wonderful car, with the Union Jack flying in the front, then they'll look at that Rolls Royce and say, wow, I've never been to Britain. I've never seen Britain. But man, that is a beautiful car. That's a beautiful car. Britain must be a great place to be. You know, God has given us marriages to serve as a testimony of his working in the world. And there are people in our neighborhoods and your friends and your community that have never seen God, and they look in life and wonder if God is, exists, if he is good, what he's about. But maybe if he was to see your marriage... And to see how the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church. And how the wife gives herself to serve and honor her husband. And they give themselves to endure ups and downs. And bear testimony to the power of God in the way they conduct themselves in marriage. And maybe, just maybe, when they see our marriages, they will say, I've never seen God. I don't know if he's good, but boy seeing the way you operate in your marriage, I've got to say, the God you serve must be someone special. 
someone powerful, someone good. Oneness in marriage comes by the accumulation of God-honoring, unifying habits. We as a church, no matter what your marital statement situation, we as a church are called to honor marriage, to give ourselves, to support and to pray for. And if we're married, to work hard at our marriages so that we may bear witness to the world of a loving God. I'm going to ask that we stand and we're going to pray together. Gentlemen, members of our prayer team are going to come forward and they're going to be available to pray with you. I encourage you to come forward and pray with them if you have a prayer need, if you have a decision to make to become a Jesus follower. Next step on your journey of faith, please let them know that. But we're going to pray together and after we pray, we'll be dismissed. Thanks, Lord, for this time that we can share. Thanks, Lord, for your goodness and love. Thanks, Lord, for the mercy we have in Jesus. I pray that those of us that are married might take to heart this truth, whether we married many years, whether we married a few years, whether we were married to be in the future. If we're single, for whatever reason, I pray that you would just guide and help us to fulfill that calling to honor marriage to pursue oneness in marriage in all things as you give in in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.